Did you know that within a decade, women will hold $30 trillion in investable assets? Yet somehow, only 19% of women reported feeling confident in selecting investments that align with their long-term goals. Our friends at InvestHer are out to change that. InvestHer Con is the number one premier conference for women in real estate, and it's happening June 2nd through the 4th in Austin, Texas. InvestHerCon is not just another real estate conference. It's a transformational experience focused on real estate investing, business strategies, and self-care tactics, all designed to help women take control of their financial futures. Gain the knowledge and skills you need to grow your portfolio and build a sustainable business, all while connecting with over 500 women who are playing at the same level. To learn more and to get your tickets, visit InvestHerCon.com today and use the code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. That's InvestHer, H-E-R, Con.com, promo code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. You have to go from investing in a duplex into having 40, 50 doors. And in order to do that, you really do have to act like a business. Best ever listeners, I'm so excited to share today's sponsor with you. It's Eastern Union Funding and Arbor Realty Trust. If you're in the multifamily space, you likely recognize these names, but have you used them? Uh, I'm guessing if you haven't, then you probably know someone who has. I can tell you personally, we have used uh, Mark Belsky. He is a point person at Eastern Union Funding as a partner with us. And he has helped us secure debt uh, for actually a deal we closed on this month. And we've worked with him. Um, in addition, my clients, my program, my consulting program have worked with him to successfully close on deals. When we were starting out, Ashcroft was starting out, we had somewhat of a track record, but we weren't fully as established with our investor network. I went to him and we secured some equity, $500,000 in equity to fund one of our deals. While he works with more institutional partners, he's brought $200 million in equity over the last 12 months. He was able to help us out there and we've built a relationship with him and Eastern Union Funding ever since. So if you need equity for your deal and you have a track record, then He's your point person. His number is 212-897-9875. If you need debt, then he partners up with Arbor on a lot of transactions. So if you're a multifamily borrower who wants agency or bridge debt, then that's the team to work with. Uh, We have worked with their team, both Eastern Union and Arbor, on deals. And people who have purchased our deals, purchased deals from us, have used Arbor, as well as my clients in my consulting program, they've used it. So this is a recommendation that comes from firsthand experience. And the last thing I'll say about uh, working with Mark Belsky at Eastern Union is that if you need a loan guarantor, but don't have that track record quite yet, then Mark can look at what you've, the deal you've got, And assuming it checks out, he can make introductions to people he knows as potential loan guarantors for your deal. So debt, equity, and potentially loan guarantors. Uh, All you need, well, you need to find a deal, obviously. 
Um, but besides that, you know, the other main components of the deal they can help you out with. So talk to Mark Belsky. His email is mbelsky at easterneq.com and his phone number 212-897-9875. Best ever listeners, how you doing? Welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Joe Fairless. This is the world's longest running daily real estate investing podcast. We only talk about the best advice ever. We don't get into any of that fluffy stuff with us today. AJ Osborne. How you doing, AJ? Doing great. I'm glad to hear that. And a little bit about AJ. He built a $100 million real estate portfolio. He turns underperforming storage facilities around by focusing on operations, policies, and procedures. He's based in Boise, Idaho. And you can say hi to him at his website, which is in the show notes page. So with that being said, AJ, you want to give the best ever listeners a little bit more about your background and your current focus? Yeah. Actually, funny. I haven't grown up in the real estate world. I actually grew up in the insurance world and ran a brokerage firm and sold health insurance. And it was through that experience and a lot of events that had happened that led me to say, I need to change our model. I need to change what we're doing and get into something more secure, reliable, but more importantly, something that can compound, something that I can build. So I got into real estate in a big way. It was from there that I really started about five years ago, started to really get into real estate. And what was the first foray into real estate? You know, really how it happened again, the transition is that when I was working in insurance, I thought that I was secure. I thought that my income was secure because I was supposedly my own boss. I went out and sold clients. I got revenue from that and I could spend my own time doing what I wanted. And it was actually a great life. I got paid really well. But at the end of the day, what really happened is I just had a lot of bosses. Instead of having one, all my clients were my bosses. And I had an experience where we'd made an acquisition of a company and they came back and stole all that revenue. And we lost a lot of money. And I realized, you know, I'm not in control. I don't own this revenue source. And where I thought that I was living independently, I realized actually I wasn't. I just had a lot of bosses. And it was from there that I thought, this isn't providing any security. In fact, I'm on a treadmill just like anybody working a nine to five. The only difference is my treadmill is going really, really fast. And I came up with a plan. I really thought I need to get off this treadmill. I'm running in place and I'm running as fast as I can. I just not going anywhere. And with real estate, I found that I could apply what I learned in business and consulting clients and improving their capital expenditures. I could apply that into real estate and I could take underperforming facilities and turn them around. That's why we went into storage was because storage is a little more active management. It's not as passive as one might think. There's a lot of things going on, but yet I still own it. I own that revenue source. And once I put my systems and procedures and policies in place, I don't have to actively do anything. So it truly could become passive, yet it held an opportunity for me to increase the value, increase the cash flow in a a way that I could never do consulting or working in a job nine to five. And you said we, who's we? It's actually my father and I, we were the ones that were running the business. And then of course, When I started up my real estate company, we've hired a lot of people to come on and help us as we've grown to build what we have today. What was your first one? 
our first entryway into the storage world. It was actually a very small facility. And it's funny, this is a great lesson on, I guess you would say, learning and growing from your mistakes and not giving up because our first entry into real estate made us no money. We bought it. It was full. It was great. It was going revenue. But then, with, of course, as with a lot of people, the financial crisis hit. We lost a lot of value and we got out of it at break even. Actually, it was about $20,000 less than we put into it. But we took that and we rolled that facility and we learned from our mistakes and said, we need to get a little bigger. We need to have a little more volume. And we rolled that facility into another facility in a bigger metropolitan area that was not doing very good. We turned it around in six months. We netted a million dollars. We took that million, threw it into another facility. We turned it around, increased rates, policies, procedures, hired new people. And immediately that today is now we have about four to five million dollars of equity in that and cash is over $150,000 a year uh, net profit to us. So the original one, you 1031 two times on the last one is the one you currently have where the sale netted a million. So now how much does it spit off in cash flow? Uh, the equity in it is around $4 million, and the net cash flow is over 150000 It generates about 300000 plus a year. And we like to hold everything we own for the long term. But sometimes there's opportunities to really take that capital and deploy it in a way that is more efficient. And this was one of those times. But we still hold that asset. But we did 1031 exchange it twice and essentially took 200000 for the first one and rolled into the second one, took a million, put it into the third one through a 1031 exchange, and now have four plus million dollars of equity in that one. What are some of the policies you put in place that enhance the bottom line? This is a really important issue for, I think, people that are trying to move from real estate investing to really get into financial freedom and really create passive income that is meaningful. You have to go from investing in a duplex into having 40, 50 doors. And in order to do that, you really do have to act like a business. As you're expanding and as you're growing your portfolio, you have to create, especially at self-storage, policies and procedures and systems that are automatic. You don't want to be running it. For example, we have an entire book of policies and procedures, and we train our managers that they have to use certain technologies. They can never give away rent rolls. We have certain targets and points that we need to hit. We'll also bonus them. But when we go into an underperforming facility, we're looking for a few things. We're looking low rent rate that's within its own market. We're looking at unactive managers or owners that have neglected it, that have kind of walked away from it and are just living off of the cash flow. And then we look for good areas. But we'll go in and we'll almost always, we've only kept, I think, two managers. We've probably had almost 100 managers. And we've only kept two of them because they have bad habits. We go in, we put, they need to wear a uniform. They need to present well. They need to be good at sales. We upsell everything from boxes to all sorts of different items that they can use and assistance with moving and including insurance, which we get paid on. So when a person comes into our facility, 
we always invest usually about a hundred plus thousand into making it look nice. So we're changing the entire customer's experience. From there, they walk in, they see a professional, someone that's dressed nice, that has our logo, and they come out, they greet them, and they walk them through the whole process. And they treat them, it's treated as a retail. We're looking for the right product to fit them and what their needs are. And then we provide them with the supplies that they need to do so. And there's multiple lines of revenue in most facilities that we find that the current owner, he's just not using. He's not even asking the tenants for. And that is such an easy thing to walk in and switch on. For us, we have property management systems. We have online auctioning systems. So our managers, we take that out of their hands. We really try to streamline the customer's experience through the use of technology and allow our managers to be hands-on with them. And we see a massive, massive jump in revenue for that quality. We bought a facility at an auction for, it was right around $4 million, I believe. We came in, we changed everything about it. We completely redid the office. We repainted. We added a robust online marketing system. We changed the auctions process. We used a new property management system. And we trained the manager really well. And we upped prices within three months by an average of 70%, but in some cases up to 120% or more. And we are more full than when we purchased that facility today and essentially doubled the revenue on that asset. And that all happened within a six-month period of time. That is incredible. You mentioned some of the income streams you said one of them was upselling boxes, another is insurance. What are some additional income streams that you put in place that some owners don't have in place? When we view income streams, we can also partner with moving companies and negotiate percentages, working on business for special use of the product. Or like one of our facilities that we just purchased, which was uh, actually we bought a bankrupt Super Kmart. And we turned it into a storage facility where we blew out the walls and you can drive through the middle of the Super Kmart. There's a two-lane automatic doors that come up and down and there's pull-off periods and everything is completely automatic. That individual can go online, rent a unit in California, come to our facility in Nevada, open it up with their app, the doors, walk in. And then they can open up their unit, open up all the doors, have complete access all by an app on their phone. The door is controlled by their phone. So the customer experience has been extremely streamlined. With that, we automatically issue insurance into that. And we try to charge a much higher price per square foot for that ease and use of the customer, particularly businesses that need to get in and out and use quickly. And they can give permission on the app to all of their workers. So you may have a company that has five guys that has the app on their phone and they use that as a business. We get a much higher price per square foot. Then they come in and they buy boxes, locks, towels, wraps, insurance. We basically mandate in that and we increase the price per square foot of that storage is double on some of our facilities that don't have that. And we have people lined up to get in. What is that called? That feature? That feature is called Noki. It's the company that we use. 
So the company that we use is called Noki, and they're teamed up with Janus. And they've come in and helped us build out this. We are actually only the second one in the United States to ever do this. And it's been an absolute incredible feature that people can use. It's best when you are doing a conversion or a new build to put in this, because for existing facilities, you have obviously tenants already, and this is built into the facility. So if you're converting something into a storage facility, doing a remodel, or you're building one from ground up, this is a fantastic way to do it. It's also a fantastic way for those that have some money, they're wanting to get into storage facilities, but they really can't get into a large facility. They need to start like we did, right? In a small facility, maybe they have $200,000 to put in. Well, at that level, you can't hire a manager because it's not big enough for the economics don't work, right? So it's not big enough to really drive any revenue with the manager because you got to pay them. Well, with these kind of features, you can have a fully automated small facility where you don't need to pay a manager. Well, right there, you're adding $30,000 onto a small facility's bottom line. That facility now becomes economically viable, whereas before, it's really not. Oh, this is really good information. Thank you for sharing your approach. This would be very helpful for not only self-storage investors, but just value-add investors in general. Earlier, you mentioned you look for three things, low rent within its own market, number one, two, unactive owners, and then three, good areas. Can you quantify each of those three just so it gets a little more specific in terms of what type of low rent you look for? We'll start with that, and then we can go into the other two. Yeah, in self-storage, this is a little of an art and a science. I'll approach it from the science point. And this is very important. I don't care if you're in self-storage or any other kind of real estate asset class. It's being able to really quantify your change. Let me run it through this. So when I go to look for a storage facility, if I like the location and I see it looks beat down, so the outward appeal is not, let's say, appeasing, so I know I can come put some more money into it, and I can make the curb pill better. I don't care what the cap rate is. I don't really care about any of those things. Because what I do is I take the facility, the amount of units that it has, the square footage, and I apply that to my model. And that spits out a total revenue for me. Then I take that revenue and say, if I'm trying to get a 20% IRR, this is what I can pay. Then I go and say, this is what I'll pay. What the buyer is selling it for or what a broker says it's worth means nothing to me. Brokers and bankers don't tell me what I can buy and what assets are worth. That doesn't even make sense. Why do they even matter? Because what it's worth to you and what it's worth to a REIT or what it's worth to a mom and pop or whatever it may be, those are all different. I only care what it's worth to me. So I never let bankers or brokers tell me what I can buy and what something's worth. I overlay my financial models, so what I know I do and how I can perform, over their overall square footage and their rent, and that shows me how much revenue that buying this asset or business will produce, and that's what I pay for it. So when I go into a market, I look for a good location because I can't change that. How do you determine it's a good location? Now, this is different for everyone. So for me, I specialize in second-tier markets. 
I don't go into LA because I don't believe that I can compete as well in that market. So I'm in second tier like Boise, Reno, Tri-Cities up in the Northwest, Spokane, those kind of areas where I can come in and deliver a great customer experience that they may not have. So I've been in really third tier markets. And when there's no growth, anybody could build a facility and it will decimate your performance. So I don't like to go into really third tier markets. I want a good, healthy, growing market. So there needs to be economic incentive for people to move there. And the numbers have to show that that's happening, that there's actually people moving to this area. They have standard growth. That means I'll get growth increases in my tenants' rates over the long haul. I also look for areas that cannot be oversaturated very easily. So I'm going to come into a market and look for an area where they couldn't build five facilities in my two-mile radius. So there's already infrastructure there because that protects me from things that I can't control. So when I'm buying, I look for the things that I need to protect me that I can't control. And then I overlay what I can control. That shows me where I should be and how much I should pay. Does that make sense? That does. That absolutely does. In, in terms of unactive owners, how do you quantify that if you can at all? Is that just financials? So it's all about the experience. So I look at the financials, but I also walk in. When you walk in, there's nobody there. They may have a website or it's a crappy website. There's no marketing strategy. The manager's sitting there. They're just like, what do you want? Right? And you could just tell this thing, nobody's running it. And we'll ask, where's the owner? Lots of time for us. It's out of Southern California. That's an immediate green light for us. And you look at the shape and the feel of the office. Then we go in and we ask for just the amount of units that they have and what their standard rate is. And that can tell us what the financial performance is usually going to be. Then once we dive in further, this is very important. We look at what their street rate is and their actual real rate. So lots of times you may come in and say, oh, this 10 by 10 is worth $60. But when I look at their overall financials, half of their 10 by 10s are at $40 because they've never increased those tenants. So they don't have an active strategy for rental rate increases. That's where I look for as immediate potential. I can walk in, I can change the existing rate to the street rate and immediately take that unrealized revenue in for me, yet I'm not paying for it. So that's where it's really, really big. The unrealized rental potential is huge. There's another way we find unrealized revenue, and that is through people will let non-paying tenants sit. So they won't send them to auction, they won't clear them out, and they may have a 10% their facility, which they show is occupied by people that aren't paying. We immediately evict those people, get them out, we put new people in, and we've capitalized on that unrealized revenue. So those are the two ways that we look for how we can immediately come in and raise the revenue. And that is subject also, though, to what we can do in the market. So if I look around and say, you're at 50 cents a square foot, but all your competitors in the market are 80 cents a square foot, that's the revenue that they're driving out of that. I immediately know I can change that and uh, capitalize on that revenue. This is not only helpful for self-storage, but also value-add investors in general. What is your best real estate investing advice ever? Know your numbers, start small, and grow into it. 
build a strategy around what you're doing and then move up from there. Don't go all in on a big project and cross your fingers and pray. That's a strategy that never worked. <laughs> We're going to do a lightning round. You ready for the best ever lightning round? I'm ready. All right, let's do it. First, though, a quick word from our best ever partners. Do you need debt for your deal, equity for your deal, or maybe a loan guarantor to help you get qualified for the financing? Talk to Mark Belsky. His number is 212-897-9875. That's 212-897-9875. His email is mbelsky at Eastern eq.com are you looking to get started in multifamily investing or looking to grow your portfolio nathan Tabor has created an online course that is slammed with incredibly useful and practical information check it out at apartments.nathantabor.com okay best ever book you've read recently that's a good one there's a lot that i'm currently reading i think brian holiday's books i have been diving into them and any books that he has like ego is the enemy that's a fantastic book that mentally puts you in check and make sure that you're in control and realizing what you're good at and what you're not. And that's a huge, huge part of success, I believe. Best ever way you like to give back? That I like to give back? Yep. I had a bunch of health issues that left me paralyzed and things like that. And I like to spend a lot of time with other people that went through the same things that I went through because I can relate to them and really help them out that and me and my wife are very active in our church and giving to charity best way the best ever listeners can learn more about what you're doing my website it's my blog i put up information my contact information's up there and i'm trying to help other people build residual income that they can get off the treadmill just like i've been fortunate enough to do myself and the website is in the show notes so best ever listeners you can just click through and check out the website aj thank you so much you gave us a crash course on self-storage. I mean, such detailed information. I am so grateful that you're on the show and talk to us about what you look for in a property and then how you execute on the value-add business plan and having a plan and being able to execute on it first and foremost. And then also how you built your portfolio from that first property to now. So thank you so much for being on the show. Really grateful. Hope you have a best ever day and we'll talk to you soon. You too. Thanks. I appreciate it. Are you looking to get started in multifamily investing or looking to grow your portfolio? Nathan Tabor has created an online course that is slammed with incredibly useful and practical information. Check it out at apartments.nathantabor.com.